You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is David Donaldson with Detailing Addictions with Dr. Susan Blank. She will be with us shortly. She had to uh, run quickly take care of something. But our special guest today is Alice Wellens. And when Susan is here, she will give all of the contact. Or, Alice, you can give give the contact information for yourself. First of all, thank you all for having me back. This is one of my favorite afternoons. Um, So my name is Alice Wellens, and I'm a psychotherapist in private practice in Atlanta and have the honor and pleasure of working with David Donaldson and Susan Blank and Atlanta Healing Center. Um, You can learn more about my practice at my website, www.alicewellens, A-L-Y-C-E-W-E-L-L-O-N-S.com. So recently, your practice—you you personally have gotten much more into um, expanding your practice through the media and through using social networking to begin to um, enhance your practice. And with that in mind, we thought that that um, we would make today a Q and A based on the social media. So Alice actually posted on her site and on our site. Um, the the real the fact that she was going to be joining us on the show and asked for people to send in questions and and received several questions when I first looked at it there were lots of likes <laughs> but not a whole lot of comments and um, <clears throat> um, since looking back there are definitely a lot more comments on there um, do you want to start start us off yeah so that's exactly right I. Um, have really gotten curious about social media and how mental health can um, go into social media in a useful and ethical way. So when we were talking about doing the podcast today, I thought it might be fun to see if people on social media, primarily Instagram and Facebook, had questions about addiction treatment and recovery that they might want us to answer. And it turns out they do. So that's been fun. So Dr. Blank has just arrived. We've been talking about the increasing presence of social media and how in Alice's practice she's been expanding on that and that we've thrown out four questions and answers coming from social media. The first question that's on there. Okay, here we go. So one of the first questions is, what are some tips you have on supporting a loved one who is new in recovery? Wow. Wow. Do we get that one a lot or what? <laughs> Does anybody want to jump in first? Should we each give our, our main primary tip that we give them? I would start out with um, create a safe environment. Um, I'm always asked, is it okay if I still drink if my loved one is in early recovery? And, and what I tend to say is, um, it's okay if you can drink, but not at home. They need to have a safe place where they can go and not have to worry about the whispering of addiction saying, just come on down here. Um, and, and so if, if people aren't able to leave alcohol out of the house during this time period, then they probably have some issues that they need to stop and look at. <laughs> and, and we do see that. <laughs> I think you nailed it with that answer. That's really one of the top questions that family members ask. Can I drink around the recovering addict? An alcoholic, and there, there's that's a really wonderful conversation to have because what we want family members to to remember is that they can't 
cause the alcoholic to drink. They cannot make that happen. So if they drink around that person, it's it's they can't make them relapse. Um, however, they can make decisions for themselves around what can I do to support the recovery with not without the expectation that the person will actually recover. They have to let go of that expectation. So one of the top things that I talk to, to somebody about in answering that question, um, what is some what are some tips you have on supporting a loved one who is new in recovery, is you get a, your own recovery program yourself. Um, and that starts with getting educated, if you haven't already, on what the disease is that your loved one has, creating a community of family and friends who are supportive that you can lean on or get information from, share with, go out to dinner with, um, who are supportive. And then also get your own therapy in a place where you can talk to a professional about what it's like for you at this juncture in recovery because a lot of times family members are always focusing on the addict. What does the addict and alcoholic need instead of what do I need? Well, and and I really think that everybody needs to have a safe place to be able to vent. Yeah. And right now to vent with their loved one is going to create relapses or create um, at least... major tension right um and so family members need a safe place to vent just as much as people in early recovery absolutely and then their own recovery program whatever that looks like if it's a 12-step al-anon group with a sponsor working the steps you know this the trifecta is the magic magic answer there um so yeah that's usually my top recommendation i think that both of you are obviously right on the money, (laughs) (laughs) took all my answers, Um, but I think the other piece of it is as uncomfortable as it may be, they need to spend a little bit of time investigating what is the best path for me, what is the best path for my loved ones in terms of finding help. Because some people will have a natural community of their relatives and friends. Maybe they're active in a, a church group or they have a spiritual practice already. And so that lends itself to having folks who are caring and interested. And that's wonderful. But many people don't have that. Um, in this very mobile society that we have, often people are new to the area or they're far away from their family or friends. And so to reestablish and spend some time thinking about what changes do I as a loved one need to make, what do I need to look at, what are my needs that I've been neglecting, including my physical needs, Uh, my emotional needs, my financial needs, that's not being selfish. That is being realistic and um, looking at what are the options. Do we have insurance that's going to cover some treatment options? If not, what other resources do we have? Can we look at community mental health centers? Can we look at resources through a church or through that person's school or if the individual with the disease of addiction works for a company what does their human resources what does their EAP offer 
because at the moment it seems so overwhelming and scary, and it is, and people feel very much alone. Mm -hmm. And very, um, you know, this isn't the, the topic that most people think about every day, is, gee, what will I do if my family needs um, some mental health or um, addiction treatment? Uh, and so we're very underprepared, and often it is hard to find the answers. Dr. Google, while often <laughs> very knowledgeable, speaking of social media, is not always the best place. And so it's, it's, it's complex and complicated. And while there may be an emergency situation, someone's been arrested, someone's overdosed, there's the emergent need and you do have to do whatever you need to do to take care of that. But the next step you can be a little more thoughtful mm -hmm. about and you can reach out and talk to people. And if you don't want to or feel like um, sharing, this is what happened with my boy George, um, you can say, I have a friend mm -hmm. um, or I know someone that needs some help. Anybody have any ideas? Mm -hmm. And that's a way that often you can get the feedback and still keep your loved one's um, confidentiality and still keep your own uh, self somewhat protected until you feel more mm -hmm. uh, willing and able to be open. Because there's a lot of really good things out there for patients and their families, but there's some really crappy things. Yeah. And that's um, and that's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good answer is use the resources that are right around you and work your way forward from there. Right. Especially when you're in a crisis and it feels completely overwhelming and scary and, and alone. I, I want to go back to part of your answer um, in terms of learning and educating yourself mm -hmm. about what's going on. I think it's so crucial to learn everything you can about the mm -hmm. disease of addiction in the sense of really understanding that it's not just a theory of the disease, but it is an actual brain disease mm -hmm. and that the brain, the impact of the addiction on the brain is driving everything because family members in particular go through so much guilt and self-doubt and and fear about if I should help or if I shouldn't help and am I enabling or not enabling and all of those questions that really get wrapped up in is this really a moral problem when they need to just stop and realize they're facing a disease that's going to get worse and worse and worse. Yeah, and um, I mean, I, I agree. I really always stress education. Educate yourself on this disease and remind yourself because it you forget that this is a disease you forget this is a medical issue when you get sweat and snarred and swept away in the havoc that the disease wreaks when it's active and it feels personal it feels personal to the family members um, and it feels it feels um, like a betrayal and it's easy to let the emotional tide turn you back. If you have that emotional, uh, that educational foundation to return to and a support network that can reground you over and over and over again. This is a disease. What do you need? You know, what's your path through this? What are the resources for help? That type of thing. 
Unfortunately, there are many resources, and many of them are free uh, of charge. Including the podcast, Detailing Addiction. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, re- I use that as one of my top resources all the time. Thank you. Um, yes, there are many resources, and there are, you know, Al-Anon mm-hmm. is a really good place to go. Mm-hmm. And I know it's hard to walk through those doors, and it's hard to go somewhere where you don't feel like you know anybody and this is going to be really weird but I can assure you if you walk through the door and if you have at least 51% of you willing Mm -hmm. to do that as a loved one you will find people reaching out to you and you will find people with experience and with hope and with strength Mm -hmm. that can get you through that and can help you find some answers. Totally, yeah. So I'm, I've lost the questions on my um, electronic device. We did a show on electronic <laughs> devices. The, the next one that pops up on yours? The next one that pops up on mine is, let's see. What is the best way to discuss addiction with teens and tweens who need more explanation than just say no? They are smarter than that. They see adults drink but not to excess. How do they know if they may be the one who becomes addicted? That's a good, good question. <laughs> uh, because we know, and the studies show very clearly, that when parents do talk to their kids, even if the kids are pulling faces and saying, I don't want to hear this, and I already know all that. Or you drink. Or you drink. Um, the kids do listen, and it does have the single most important impact in terms of shaping that person's attitude and also allowing that person, that young person, to be able to come back and talk about it if they have trouble. But I think one of the ways to... to talk about it is to look at your own family history and are there examples within your own family history to make it personal this isn't a hypothetical somebody out there might have the disease somebody they may know we're going to take a break when we come back we'll talk a little bit more about these questions about addiction thanks for listening perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction if not You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge. 
not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. In studio today is one of our favorite guests, Alice Wellens. Um, and she is here uh, helping us with questions about addiction. If you are interested in learning more about her practice or contacting her, please go to her website, www.alicealons.com. AliceWellens.com. Check out her blogs. Check out her postings on Facebook and on Instagram. Uh, she's very active in social media, often presenting to the co- um, to the community as well as doing workshops and training for other therapists and healthcare professionals. So she's got a lot going on. I really appreciate that you took the time to be here today. So right before our question was about how do you talk to teens and tweens, and I had just started to say it's important if you have some family history. First of all, it's important to know your own family history. Is there some risk? Is there uh, are there individuals in your family that had some form of addiction, either to substances or behavioral addictions, and maybe use that example to bring it home that. Uh, this is a genetically inherited disease. It doesn't mean 100% that you have it, and our genes don't determine our future necessarily, but you just need to be aware you may be at an increased risk. So I think that's a, a way sometimes to increase the impact. Then also make sure that you know a little bit about what you're talking about. <laughs> Get educated. <laughs> Get educated. you got to know some of the lingo. You've got to know um, some of the names that drugs are called. Uh, I remember a few years ago people would see, we're going, we're going to the pa- a party and we're going to bring Molly. <laughs> and uh, everybody thinking, well, that's a sweet little name. <laughs> what a nice little girl who will be joining you at the party. And everybody's bringing her. <laughs> right. Wow, she's popular. <laughs> so you need to you need to to have some idea about what you're talking about and what your goal is um are you are you wanting to um introduce the topic to a eight nine ten year old uh do you have a middle schooler who probably knows more than you and is running into this already do you have um, a high schooler somebody going off to college that probably has faced a number of situations already, if not themselves, but um, but with friends. So you have to know your audience and you have to know the topic, first mm-hmm. of all, I yeah. would think. 
The the number one thing I usually say to that is let your kids know their medical family history, just like right. you were saying. Um, you know, if you have cancer in your family, you want to let them know that so they'll make an extra effort to put on sunscreen or to get checks. So I just encourage family members to, to just find those organic moments. A lot of times the car is a great place to talk to kids. Right. Um, and and don't get stuck on getting their eye to eye attention. They're they're probably listening. You know, if you're just in the car or there's that organic moment and it's right there, take it. And like you were saying, know your audience. So talk to them in a way that's going to really meet them where they are developmentally, but letting them know there is addiction and alcoholism in our family and that puts you at risk. There's no way we can know if you or your brother will have it, either one of you or both. Um, but that means that if and when you experiment, you need to be aware you could be activating a genetic predisposition that is inside you. And, um, you know, that's that very likely could happen. And so I just want to, you know, keep created open communication for us to be able to talk about that. And I want you to know. So that's usually the top thing I say is let your kids know their medical history age, um, age appropriately. Yeah, and I would agree with all of that. You know, it's cliche um, to say that you should have dinner with your kids. Yeah. But studies really do show that if you're mm-hmm. regularly yep. having dinner with your kids and having conversations about what's going on, that kids listen and kids begin to pick up what your values and expectations are. In the midst of that, um, teens and tweens, so I'm going, I'm assuming 12, 13 on up, most of the clients I ever talked to had their first cigarette Mm -hmm. at age 12. Mm -hmm. So if you're waiting until they're 15 or 16, it's way too late. Right. Um, Most of them had marijuana when they were 14. So having that conversation about, I know y'all are, um, I know that it's out there. I know that y'all are tempted and you're curious and all these things, but these are the risks. In particular now, I just want to throw out some advertisement. There is a genetic test to see that if you smoke marijuana, if it's going to cause you to have schizophrenia, you should get that test. You should have that test done before your kids reach the age of trying um, marijuana. marijuana. Yeah. Really important. The other um, the other technique that I think is sometimes really helpful, and I like what you said, Alice, about not necessarily having them eyeball to eyeball, mm-hmm. because especially with younger kids, that's pretty intimidating. But one of the things that I remember one of my supervisors when I was uh, in my psychiatric residency talking about, he said, rather than talk um, directly to your child, one of the ways that you can do it is to say things like, you know, some kids get really curious mm-hmm. about marijuana, and some kids wonder what that would be like and what it looks like, and some kids, and use it just mm-hmm. as a, a, not you, certainly not you, my child, and certainly not anybody you know, but there are some kids that uh, that have this experience that their friends are trying to get them to to smoke marijuana I'm, and and begin in that kind of less direct way mm-hmm. is often another way to, to be able, especially with younger kids, to have that conversation 
without it necessarily feeling like an interrogation or yeah. a shakedown. Yeah. And let and it lets them plant some seeds and you can always leave that door open and if that's happening or if you see that happening and you want to talk about it, you know, you can let me know or mm-hmm. um, just giving them the open doors that they can walk through. Right. Um, and if you want to keep up on the lingo, first of all, good luck. I can hardly keep up with it myself. <laughs> but Urban Dictionary um, online is a great way to look up some of the words that you, you might hear and you want to check out, but the, but you don't want to ask your kids. Right. <laughs> What's, what is what, dabbing? What is, what is <laughs> right? <laughs> What's rolling mean? Um, yeah. Okay. So do we have some other... Yes, let's see. I, let's. Here's one from text. So somebody asked, let's see. Do some alcoholics just burn out with their drinking? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Sometimes they can become flammable, actually. <laughs> Burn up. <laughs> I don't think that was what the question was. That's actually a really good question because if you look at outcome studies, one of the interesting things that is reported is that many people who have been drinking alcoholically and have who have even had consequences, without any treatment, they just seem to get better. And they don't require treatment. They get their lives under control. And um, an alcohol ceases to be a problem or they are able to drink normally. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody wants to be that. Yeah, person, everybody would like to be that. But, but naturalistic studies have shown that there are people who are able to just go ahead and not have a problem in their later years. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more questions about addiction. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. 
These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. With me in studio today are David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center and Alice Wellens uh, from her private practice, Alice, A-L-Y-C-E, Wellens, W-E-L-L-O-N-S. And you can find Alice Wellens at alicewellens.com. And she has a very helpful, easy-to-use website with lots of really good information and resources. And I would invite you all to go and check out her website, even if you don't live in Atlanta. (laughs) Um, So we're talking today about questions from the audience about the disease of addiction and uh, recovery questions. And there have just been some really interesting ones um, that have come in. So, Alice, you want to share... Yeah. So we just answered, do some alcoholics just burn out with their drinking? And you said, yeah, some of the studies show they do. Um, Just the total caveat here and disclaimer is not all addiction and alcoholism works that way. Abstinence and treatment are still highly recommended. But do some people just stop or just wind down? Yeah, Mm -hmm. some do. And there are a lot of people who would meet the criteria for alcohol use disorder in their 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they get the responsibilities of life, they, you know, they get their behavior in line and they go back to regular, normal social drinking and they don't have the consequences. And, and, and that's a really important mm-hmm. point, David, because often people who have had a consequence for the first time, and they come in, and the question is, do I have addiction? Um, the storyline does not always tell you that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so lots of people can make um, unfortunate choices while under the influence, or they may be in a difficult situation and uh, use alcohol excessively and get a DUI. It does not mean that they have the disease of addiction. Right. It's a much more complicated process. You would think that would be pretty easy to determine. It's not always the case um, that, it, that um, just because you've had consequences means you have addiction. On the other hand, um, if you cannot discontinue or get your use under control following consequences, then that raises the likelihood that you probably do mm-hmm. have addiction. But the storyline doesn't always tell you that in the beginning. But And the other th- caveat, just to throw in some more caveats, is that a <laughs> lot of times when people are moving from drinking liquor or harder substance to drinking beer, what they are actually doing is attempting to control, control. Mm-hmm. their addiction. And they tend to find that they're quantity of beer increases and they'll end up drinking a case on the weekend but they'll say it's just beer like having a coca-cola or something right 
Yeah. I this is actually the the topic of one of my upcoming blogs is what's the difference between alcohol abuse and alcoholism um, and how it can look the same at different times in life how they can look really side by side and one of my old um, uh, uh, mentors said you know the gold standard is self-diagnosis and I really like that right. because we can go through the DSM, we can go through the criteria, we can give you know a, a clini- solid clinical diagnosis. But until that person claims that for themselves, right. you're really not going to see some of that change we're looking for. And if you're asking yourself that question, yeah. that <laughs> might be, as, as the old saying goes, you might be a redneck if. <laughs> right. <laughs> so one of our next questions um, came through on text. Is it possible for a child to grow up without any trauma or childhood difficulties and still become a raging addict? Yes. That is a very good question. And uh, one that uh, is interesting in that there are many people that really see um, the use of drugs or alcohol in a dangerous and abusive way as a response to trauma. Um, That if we could prevent the trauma or if we could treat that person's trauma or their depression or their anxiety, then their need to use drugs or alcohol would, would vanish. And there are a number of of theories of this um, process of substance use and abuse that that say it's it's all trauma. It's all trauma. And um, the reality is, is while trauma can complicate someone's life, while trauma may make someone more likely to be looking for some way to self-soothe and to help them deal with a difficult situation, trauma doesn't cause it and um, it complicates the treatment for sure and it needs to be addressed for sure but um, the disease of addiction is is a disease of addiction and there are people that drink because they like to celebrate and it makes them feel good and they're happy if they're depressed or sad they don't want to drink so there are people that do not have a history of traumatic events in their life that still have the inability to um, or or who continue to use in spite of consequences yeah yeah I think trauma certainly disrupts the ability to develop and cultivate self-regulation and coping Mm -hmm. skills absolutely and depending on the nature and duration of the trauma that influences how impaired your self-regulation and coping skills become. And that is a that is something that can show up with somebody who also has addiction and that can be show up in somebody who has no addiction. Um, so it there's it's a very separate thing. Um, but, but it, it does get really blurry. Because going from this question, for somebody to get to the point of being a raging alcoholic or drug addict, more likely than not, their disease is going to create trauma in their life. And 
dealing with the trauma that it created is is going to have to be part of the recovery process because yeah. what the the addiction itself is going to take away their coping skills that they may have once upon a time had for dealing with life. Um, so although the trauma does not cause addiction, it's a different section of the brain. Um, it it will certainly impact the recovery process. And yes, and. One of the things that you often see are people who are addicts and alcoholics and have trauma will want to focus on the trauma as the primary issue because it takes the focus away from the addiction. Right. And they are willing to look at the trauma, um, but it's a distract, it can also become a distraction technique because the whole purpose of addiction is to get everybody away from it so it can have that person all to itself if we kind of talked about it from that personified way so it can get very very (laughs) tangly in there you might have a client come in they have a substance abuse issue yes but then they are just going to open up this trauma and it can be very um, overwhelming it can be very moving it can be very horrific but and the, very interesting. And very interesting. Some, you can get very hooked by that trauma. Really taken down the bunny trail because wow, I've never heard anything like this. That's right. And then, and in the meantime, the addiction is just raging on yeah, and right. growing and going on, um, being left alone, which is what it wants to do. So, there's so many ways to look at trauma and, and uh, addiction. But you have to look at it. And you got to look at it, and you got to ask about it, and you got to keep asking about it because yeah. it will greatly impact um, the person's uh, treatment and their um, recovery process and their ability to stay sober. Yeah, and they there another aspect of it is that so often when people hear the word trauma, they want to go back to childhood, mm-hmm. and immediately they want to ask about your parents and your your school and were you bullied and all of these things that happened before you actually had any language to communicate about it. Um, and in truth, there's a lot of trauma that happens in adult lives. Yes. Um, bad relationships, about bad bosses. There's things that really can devastate a person's sense of self um, throughout a person's life. And so the trauma can be um, in the midst, or definitely is going to be in the midst. Yeah, and we call those small T traumas. You know, things that happen that um, are, are upsetting and dysregulating to you in a way that impacts you, impacts your sense of um, safety, your sense of connection, your sense of how you see the world, you know. And so we tend to minimize those or just let those kind of go by the wayside and only look for the big T traumas, you know, um, abuse and death rape and death of a parent, and which are all very, very serious. But, yeah, we, we can easily miss those smaller traumas because we want to minimize them. We want to think that they don't really matter. Um, Those are harder to feel sometimes. Mm -hmm. Do we want another one? Sure. Okay. Curious about recovering addicts who begin to drink again after many years of successful sobriety. Oh my gosh, how many times do we (laughs) hear this? Um, Like decades later, they say they can have one or two drinks at a time and they do it just fine. Are they recovered versus recovering or just kidding themselves? 
These are such good questions. Ooh, these are real and hard. <laughs> I think part of that is people are putting their finger on the very things that we understand, too, which is there's no right answer. There's no right way. There's no yes or no in the world of addiction and recovery, and it's hard. Right. Yeah. And if one size fit all, then we'd only need one size. Right. We'd we'd be accountants (laughs) now prepping for tax time. Another way that we see that frequently is when they've entered treatment and they've had total abstinence because of cocaine or because of um, some substance other than alcohol and after they've been in recovery for a period of time they start deciding do I really have to be completely totally abstinent or will I be fine to drink a little bit and not go back to cocaine Um, and as you said it's still a matter of it's it's very very risky Mm -hmm. because the likelihood is that it's going to cause problems again, um, but it's certainly a path that a lot of people have to have to explore. And negotiate and talk about. We're going to take another break. When we come back, more questions and answers about the disease of addiction. Thanks for listening. There's this orange cat walking down the, the street. The disease of addiction my... is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Obamacare is failing, but in order to get back on the right track with health policy, people need to be informed. ObamacareWatch.org is your resource to understand what's happening with this law and what you can do to stay active, stay informed, and make positive change happen. ObamacareWatch.org. Visit us now. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and this is America's Web Radio. David Donaldson and I are happy to share the studio today with 
Alice Wellens, uh, who is one of our favorites. And uh, Alice is, of course, a licensed clinical social worker with a practice here in Atlanta. She's a therapist therapist, and uh, she does a lot of really good work with the community and uh, certainly with her patients. So she comes highly recommended by the Atlanta Healing Center and David and myself. And we would um, like to invite you to check out her really good website at www.alicewellens.com. AliceWellens.com. So, right before um, the break, there was an interesting question about uh, someone being in recovery for a long time, and now they're deciding that they're going to drink a little bit. That's right. I and love your some of your thoughts <laughs> you were discussing on the break. So I think this is um, one of the things that I would really want to know from this person is what's their motivation for it? What are they looking for? And why now? Uh, what has changed in their life? I think it's a little bit different if the person's primary dopamine releaser of choice was alcohol versus another substance because that's usually a couple of different ways that conversation happens. But in any event, I just want to know, with all this reco- time and recovery, what's missing from your life now that you feel like alcohol is the answer? Um, because I, I really think, um, while in theory there should be people who are able to do that, I think there's usually a whole lot of stuff going on that needs to really be explored for this person to be safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why now? Um, because something, they're going to answer that question. There is some reason. Either they've, they're getting into a relationship and they want to be able to drink, or I like your, your question is, were they exposed to some type of medication in a surgery? And that could have been three months ago, six months ago, eight, nine, ten months ago, but it started that domino effect in their brain, mm-hmm. and they're not even connecting that. And the family might not even be connecting with that because they've been clean and sober for 10 or 20 years. But asking why now, and really asking it, not in an accusatory way, but really asking it in a curious way, like why now, um, is really the best place to start with that. What is it doing? What are you needing now that you weren't needing five weeks ago? Right. The other thing I would like to know that the person has is some guideline that lets them know that it's not really working Mm -hmm. because part of that question was they seem to be able to be having two drinks at a time and it doesn't cause any problems Um, and is their measure going to be that it doesn't kind of cause any problems or that they stick at just two do they have have they thought it through to the point of knowing if they're getting into a dangerous situation again um, where they can hopefully head it off before it becomes the nightmare that it probably was the first time right and that's so if we if we get through all the why now and what's going on and they've decided they're going to drink and i always feel a little odd about this as a as a therapist who works in addiction recovery but they've decided they're going to then it's the conversation of okay how how, what are your boundaries how are you going to know you're crossing the line from using to abusing 
and abusing back to full-blown addiction? What what are those lines? What are those behaviors that you would start seeing? And I always feel w- weird because I don't want to give the sense that I'm condoning this. Right. I don't know that I am. I don't know that I'm not. And, again, that's that gray area that we mm-hmm. live in as addiction providers and, and treatments and care about these people. And I always preface it by saying the most conservative thing you can do is not drink. Right. <laughs> if you're going to drink, you know, here we go. This is the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. And, and using the um, low-risk drinking guidelines, mm-hmm. um, I often ask people, well, what's a, what's a regular drink? What's a sta- how do you destru- describe a standard drink? And make sure that we're talking yeah. equal amounts. Um, and make sure they understand, you know, four ounces of, <laughs> of, you know, red wine is half of one of those little small bottles of water. We're not talking what they usually pour you in the restaurants. Um, so what's your understanding of that? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's help you kind of walk through this. Um, if you are a woman... Or if you're anybody over the age of 65, male or female, that would be one, no more than one standard drink per day and no more than seven per week. And that doesn't mean you save up all seven for <laughs> Saturday night. If you are a male under the age of 65, that would be no more than two standard drinks per day and no more than 14 in a week. Again, not all at once. So if you if you ask them about that and put it into that, anything more than that moves into high-risk drinking. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, um, can at least be a start for a conversation around it. And, um, and I often hear, well, if I can only have four ounces of red wine, I mean, that's not even worth it. Um, I hear that answer quite often, really. Right. right. So a lot of times, just throwing this at another angle, a lot of times I will hear that question from a loved one or from somebody who's getting into a relationship with somebody who used to be in recovery. Mm-hmm. And so in that situation, I want to make sure that they understand what, recovery is and that they understand it's a brain disease and that they know the signs of when this person begins to get out of control because th- there's a um, a subtleness about the way addiction and codependency kind of interwind themselves mm-hmm. and and the person who's asking that question could could already be find themselves um, in in their own codependency trap that um also, I think it's important to explore. Yeah, and having an accountability buddy, mm-hmm. right. somebody who who you really can trust to to help you ask those questions, because this is a potentially life threatening disease. Right, and to make a mistake, um, it's a I've big seen one. Some horrible disasters with people who are in long term recovery, and then they're not, and yeah. and they often don't make it back. And reminding them, you know, if if this doesn't work for whatever whatever that means, then your disease is going to pick up where it left off, and it's going to go down, take you down faster, and lower harder. and harder. And so, and you know, after twenty years, you've have some age now, and you have more of life to be taken down. But it's like a it's like a burning fire at that point. So it's hard. It's it's there's a lot at risk and. 
deciding to take that drink. So our last question, can you recommend any books or podcasts that might aid in addiction recovery? What are our top faves? So my favorite book is called Unchain Your Brain. It's by David Smith and Daniel Amen. And it is written for patients and their families about the disease of addiction. It's based on evidence. It's based on imaging studies. I think it's a really good one. And one of my favorite podcasts is by my friend Howard Wetzman, W-E-T-S-M-A-N. He does a whole series on YouTube about the disease of addiction. So if you just put Howard Wetzman, W-E-T-S-M-A-N, into your YouTube, you'll find him, and he is very knowledgeable, and you can trust what he says about this disease. It's awesome. I am completely blank on the, the one I... <laughs> in terms of codependency, I, I go back to the classics, Codependent No More, The Language of Letting Go. Um, um, and I'll have to get back to you in just a second on the the book and the YouTube videos that I always recommend because they're blank right now. But <laughs> Alice, jump in. And, and <laughs> I, you know, I'm. this is really, really, in all seriousness, I recommend Detailing Addiction. And it's oh, not so it's glad. not just because I'm sitting here at this table with some of my favorite people and colleagues, but it's it's really a great way to get information about a wide variety of aspects and topics in the addiction um, in the in the field of addiction. So that's one of my favorite podcasts. If I'm talking to younger clients who are just you know wanting to get interested and maybe not all the way in recovery yet. Um, I refer them to Russell Brand's website. He is he's young, <laughs> he's edgy. Um, he talks about it in a really, really different way than you hear a lot of edu- um, researching and academic people talking about it. And sometimes that helps people. Mm-hmm. They kind of catch him and it brings him in the door. Um, but he's still very 12-step based. He's still very addiction is a disease based. So the foundations are solid. Um, um, yeah, he just drops a few explicit. He language. loves to use the f bomb, but yeah, some people want to hear that, right? Um, but um, but he's coming to it from his own recovery, which I think is awesome. Yeah, he shares his experience, strength, and hope. So, so it's Dr. Stephen Milinix, M I L I N I S. He's he's got several um, YouTube videos and a phenomenal book about about the disease of addiction. So. And we will see you all next week on Detailing Addiction. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.